Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Need Some Introduction. In today's episode, we will be discussing, or I will be discussing, is it discussion when it's a, a monologue? I'm here by myself, as that would indicate. Sona is on vacation with her family, and I can't wait to have a conversation with her next week when we dig into this episode, as well as next week's episode, when she's available again. But for today, we will be discussing episode six of season three, What It Takes. Before we get into the full breakdown, just remember to subscribe to our feed so you know when episodes become available. Give us a review. We really appreciate it on Apple Podcasts or any podcatcher you happen to be using. Drop us a line, need some introduction at gmail.com. And listen to our other recap shows. We are currently recapping the Dexter reboot, New Blood, on Showtime. And I just dropped an episode just yesterday, perhaps, depending on when this posts. Covering the most recent episode, I also discuss a book review, The Final Girl Support Group which is a very good horror question mark book that I read earlier this year and became kind of a big bestseller and is now going to be turned into a TV series itself on HBO. Probably see it sometime next summer, I would guess. Also over Thanksgiving weekend, I hope you catch up on some of shows you may have missed out on. The very funny Only Murders in the Building, which we also recapped here in this feed. And a new recap, I will be discussing a whole bunch of Marvel content, What If, on Disney+, Plus, as well as Hawkeye. The first two episodes drop tomorrow, Wednesday, as well as Shang-Chi, which just became available on Disney+, Plus, which is truly excellent, really one of my favorite Marvel films. And I'll have a full review of that as well sometime over this long weekend. So I hope you get to catch up on some of that content and some of our podcasts as well. So we have three episodes to go in this season of Succession. I thought it was actually a 10-episode season. I believe it's nine, according to the HBO website. This one is called What It Takes. And that's something that Logan Roy has said multiple times on the show. Does someone have what it takes? Does Kendall have what it takes to run the company? And in this case, it might mean more than one thing. But as they say at one point, they're basically trying to pick the next Republican candidate for the presidential election that's coming up. I was trying to guess at what the time frame was on this show based on previous seasons. And I was guessing we were a few months, maybe two months away from the November elections. Turns out it's only four months. And now, of course, the field is wide open with the current incumbent president, the raisin, as they call him in this show, stepping away. So this is a really interesting, great episode. And there's so much to discuss here. And I'm going to try to break it down for you, not only the events of the show, but also what Jesse Armstrong and his team of writers are trying to convey here. So a few things to be clear about in the show itself. Not only is there no COVID in this show, now it could be inferred and Jesse Armstrong himself has mentioned that it would be no COVID in the show because to a large extent, COVID doesn't impact the super rich, but also this is an alternate universe to use the nomenclature of the Marvel shows. I guess everybody has an alternate universe once again. And there's a lot of shared DNA in this show as well as the show Veep that we probably are familiar with, in the fact that even though events have occurred historically in both contexts, these specific political characters do not exist in that universe. So for example, I don't believe that there is a Fox News, that there is a Rupert Murdoch in this show. It's not like there's ATN, this is another network, and there is also Fox News. I believe there is no Fox News, there is no Rupert Murdoch in this version of the world that is created in succession. And I'm pretty sure there is no Donald Trump. There's no mention of Trump, and I do not think that there is a Donald Trump in this show. People have speculated that The Raisin is a nickname for Trump. I don't believe that. I believe that this is a separate character. And obviously seeing this current state of affairs means that they're not trying to parallel history. They're writing their own history. All that being said, they are saying something about the current political moment, specifically in this episode. So to get into the episode, 
It's actually what we saw in the teaser last week. Kendall is not answering questions. He's trying to skip questions. He's answering inappropriately and annoying his lawyer, by the way. He's not taking this seriously. And it turns out this is all practice. So it's not an actual interrogation by the DOJ, but he's prepping for the inevitable questioning at the DOJ. We find out here, as we suspected, two key points. First is that Royko is now cooperating with the DOJ, and that has its own problems. First of all, it gives Kendall less leverage when they cooperate. And second of all, they are burying them with shredded documentation. So they have millions of files that they've shredded, the inconsequential stuff, of course, the consequential stuff, and they are literally at what they call jigsawing them together, where you have these investigators trying to piece these papers back together. And the idea is if you just overwhelm them with paper, it just slows everything down significantly. Meanwhile, we see the rest of the Roy's. They are at a conservative convention in Virginia, basically correlating to something like CPAC, I would assume, although there's more than one conservative convention per year. And a lot of things are happening here. A lot of dynamics are playing out here. The Roy's are there to test out each one of these candidates to see who is going to be the best for them as a brand and who's going to be the best for quashing this DOJ investigation. So they multiple times make it clear that their expectation, that their hubris here is that they can basically cherry pick the next president of the United States of America. And that remains to be seen. And maybe that's the trajectory of the rest of the season. Although I have a feeling, I'll just introduce it here, that I think that this season will probably come up to the election. And I'm assuming the next season will be the election. I think it'd be quite a lot of ground to cover to jump to the election in just three more episodes, but we'll see. They might have some kind of time jump. So a couple of things are raised here that are immediately real world issues. The first is that you see Logan is coordinating with these politicians to say, our message has to be social media is too powerful. Now, this is very interesting because two things have happened in the past few years, and I am not a big fan of social media, by the way. <laughs> I want to get that right out of the way. I think that Facebook is pretty toxic, as is, unfortunately, Twitter, although I enjoy Twitter, especially for news. I think it's a very good way to get many voices. Unfortunately, there's a negative consequence to that as well. But all that being said, social media is very prevalent, it is dominating the conversation, but it has also become a huge boogeyman on the right and the left. They kind of touch on it here. Specifically, conservatives and Roy in this context of the show are attacking social media for being leftists that are trying to brainwash people using their filtered opinions. However, on the left and the right, traditional media is always angry at social media because social media has usurped the dominance of traditional media. So whether it's Fox News or whether it's CNN or whether it's any one of these traditional newspapers, they're all critical of social media. And once again, I understand the arguments, but there is no doubt that there's something self-serving in the fact that they're saying, don't trust those guys, trust us. Because of course, they are the previous standard bearers for media. This is something that is legitimately happening. Not only do you see the right wing in general, right wing politicians attacking social media, but of course, traditional media is also attacking social media. And that's kind of the coordination we're seeing here when we meet up with Logan and some of these people at this CPAC like convention. We also see Logan and Shiv interacting. Shiv is still trying to get some credit from her dad saying, well, I wish I would get some respect for you. The fact that we still have a company. Logan does not give her that level of respect. However, he does come up with excuses and he says, well, you know, it's kind of out of my mind and he just kind of blows it off. It's like, you know, cut me some slack, but doesn't really apologize. Doesn't really take back any of the 
criticisms he gave her. So she's not very happy with this interaction. And we start to see the characters mingling here. There's some pretty funny entertainment early on. It turns out that Connor still has his con heads around. He tried to run on some crazy, strange libertarian stance. He doesn't understand how taxation works, but regardless, he did build up some kind of populist groundswell. And there are folks who are still supporters of his, and he finds his tribe here, uh, a subset of these followers here at CPAC, and some of them legitimately want him to run for president. It's just such a thrill. <laughs> I'm probably the biggest con head in Oklahoma. Of course, Panhandle Pete. That's it's just it. me, or in a room full of Timothy McVeigh's, does Connor suddenly look like a Rust Belt? Sweetie, mm. it's Panhandle Pete. Frowny face here wanted to stay home and work on her play, but duty calls for my leggy Mary Todd. Mm, no, it's fine. I can totally just write the play on my phone. So, uh, how'd you two meet? Online. Online. <laughs> which I guess is true. <laughs> Maybe that's where he saw her ad. Hard to believe that no one in this whole entire episode, even when they have a chance to knock Connor down, they don't hit him as hard as they could, the, the other siblings. And no one brings up the fact that, hey, this Willa thing is probably going to come out. So that may very well be a disqualifier, but no one raises it. And there's a lot of funny moments here. One of them that comes pretty early on is when you realize that this qualifier disqualifier for the vice president is how often he licks his lips. <laughs> they think it's just not telegenic for him to be licking his lips. And I also like the fact that they introduce it through a, a side door where they say, you know what? The lip licking doesn't really bother me that much. <laughs> so it's like as if they're drawing attention to something that may not have uh, been there already. And like I mentioned, there's a lot of funny dialogue here, but there's something grim about this show, uh, this particular episode. Firstly, because there is some real stakes here for Tom, who seems like he's almost certainly going to go to jail. This idea that he's not going to go to jail and now, you know, subtly between these few episodes where it's just like foregone conclusion that he's going to jail and he's just been forgotten. All these people who were saying, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it, Tom. It's not going to happen. Now they're just saying it's going to happen and he just has to suck it up. So there's some real sadness here in McFadden's performance and the Tom character and the stakes, you know, the situation he's in. And the other reason this is kind of a grim episode is because what is being played out here, this very cynical view that this set of elites gets to just dictate what happens to the rest of us and how real that is. I'm not sure, but it is still very grim. This perspective, <laughs> if true, is extremely depressing. On the interpersonal drama side, we find out, or Roman finds out, that his mom is getting remarried, and he didn't even know. And then he starts going to his siblings and telling, did you know, did you know? And then, of course, ironically enough, they're the ones who get to tell Kendall. And of course, they just found out a minute ago from a stranger, but Kendall didn't know yet. So, hey, they won because they knew before Kendall. And it's like, this is how petty it is. This is how petty the pecking order is, that even that is considered some kind of minor victory. There's a lot of Greg and Tom in this episode. It's all pretty much comedy gold. Greg had come to Tom and, you know, just a few episodes ago was saying, here, here's where I think I'm going to land. I'm thinking about maybe just getting one amusement park and then maybe building on top of that and blah, blah, blah. And Logan's saying, hey, you know, you got a hand to play there. Let me know what you need. And now Greg is saying, I think Kendall's going to burn me. And I think nobody within the organization is going to protect me. So I think I'm going to jail. And Tom's like, hey, welcome to the club. <laughs> <laughs> and he starts really having a very depressing conversation with him. Are you threatening me? You can't threaten me. I'm immune. No, Tom, I was just thinking about advice because I'm, I'm obsessing over the prison of it all. And uh, I just need to know how to stop thinking. Yeah. It's just constant. I tried that. It doesn't work. No, what I'm preferring is to always think about it. And then 
when you don't for a moment, it's like, ooh, someone's loosened their icy grip on my innards. Yeah, I like that. I like it. When you're not thinking about it, even for a moment, that it's like a reprieve. Just have no hope because then, you know, you can't get quashed down when you, there's simply no hope. And this begins this kind of depressing cycle. And what's funny is I had speculated even like in last week's episode, whether Tom was playing this up a little bit, like kind of just overplaying, like overly dramatically playing up his possible situation just for sympathy, just to get some kind of sympathy from Shiv, for example. But he might not seriously be this depressed. But I think with this episode, it is certain that he, Tom is really, really at the bottom of the barrel right here. Just to add insult to injury, Tom, who loves wine, as we found out in the last week's episode, gets his own wine made. And what a hilarious description of this wine. It's it's earthy. It has kind of a, like kind of a, oh, what is that? It's very, ooh, that's very pungent, isn't it? So you want to try? Mm-hmm. It's the Spettburgunder. Our vineyard. Oh, screw top. Oh. So it's biodynamic, has quite a funk to it. You kind of have to meet it halfway, right? It's, you know, it's earthy. Yeah. Kind of Germanic. Yeah. There's lots to unpack. It's, it's not, it's not floral. It's not sugary or vegetal. It's, 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 it's quite agricultural, you know, it's, it's, it's it's uh it's not very nice is it the wine chef this whole sequence of their review of this unfortunate wine that he's come is almost perfect like oh it's a screw cap (laughs) so all of this is very entertaining and then we have another really great interaction with greg and tom once again now eating at a diner so then they're, they're now eating at a diner and by the way i live in jersey we love diners in jersey there's so many of them and I like diner food, but <laughs> it's kind of maybe speaks to their level of privilege that Tom is basically saying, this is prison food. <laughs> Eating at a diner, probably a nice diner, is prison food. Get ready for this. <laughs> I think they're going to wish that this was uh, the level of food they get. But he does even call that out. He says, you just have to subtract 40% of the flavor <laughs> from from this. And then that gets you prepared. You know, you're preparing yourself for the the prison experience not sure if that's all true but it is kind of funny that this is how they supposedly are preparing themselves for prison it turns out greg is actually suing greenpeace he explains that they promoted a comment that made fun of him so that's why he's suing them for defamation (laughs) and hoping that that promoted tweet is going to somehow (laughs) reclaim his lost um inheritance not sure if that's going to be the case Meanwhile, a few things are happening. Logan is still circling around the convention, actually just kind of doing his thing. He's you know back on top, even though he was uh, <laughs> demented last uh, episode, fully finished his course of antibiotics and uh, fully replenished his liquids. And apparently he seems fine uh, once again, to the point that the vice president is you know stalking him through the hotel, trying to get a moment with him, to which Logan makes fun of him almost to his face, like as he's walking away saying like, oh, that guy was waiting there 10 minutes just to see if he could run into me, which is probably true but just adding a humiliation to this guy for no reason. This vice president, I think my guess is that he seems to be like a pretty much middle of the road, usual, probably a Mike Pence type character, just kind of like your average run of the mill conservative. And he definitely is considered viable. You know, he's definitely one of the viables in this list of candidates from Logan and family. Another thing that's happening here in parallel is that Kendall has actually gone to the DOJ to be interviewed. And we don't see the actual interview, but it seems like it's not going well. 
And Kendall makes a big scene with his lawyer in the hallway saying that no one's going to do anything about it. My dad gets to do whatever he wants to do. And I'm the one. They're trying to crack my story. They're trying to blame this on me. And his lawyer seems to be like, calm down, Kendall, calm down. And then when the DOJ lawyers wander off, he basically confidently says, that'll light a fire under them. Like this whole thing was just him playing mind games. And he has this whole entire time. He hires all these people who are supposed to know what they're doing, who are the best of the best whether it's his PR people, whether it's his legal advice, whether it's his staff, but he constantly undermines them. He's always telling them what to do. Even something as basic as he's micromanaging, whether he leaves somebody in charge of feeding the rabbit last week, and then he undermines them by saying, give him a bagel. And of course the rabbit gets sick and he doesn't learn. He keeps thinking he knows more than everybody else. He's smarter than everybody else. Anyway, this culminates, I'm not sure if he fired her or if she fires him, but either way they they break it off. And he basically announces it to the team that he's getting rid of his lawyer. She's a toxic person. And this seems very problematic for me. Kendall, I think, has not only overplayed his hand, he is now burning bridges. And he is so just caught up in winning the tweet battle for that day, just getting like a positive conversation point from some left-wing pundit somewhere that he is completely losing sight of the actual game at hand. Simultaneously, it does look like he's losing power. It looks like the cooperation of Royko makes his hand less powerful. The evidence that he's provided apparently isn't as damning as it would seem to be because it doesn't implicate anybody higher up on the food chain. But they basically say it does hurt Tom. And Tom, they've just basically said, yeah, Tom is going to go to jail. As a matter of fact, they're calling him the Christmas tree. This is referenced multiple times in the episode by Tom and by others. And the reason they call him the Christmas tree is because everyone's just going to say, hey, Tom, since you're going to jail already, can I just hang my crimes on top of you too? And he, Tom just keeps saying, sure, sure. Why not? Yeah, sure. It's very depressing to see Tom at this point. And I don't know why he doesn't stand up for himself. I mean, maybe we do. And we'll get into a conversation because it's a very big part of the episode or what happens here that importantly happens here. But I still can't figure out Tom. And, and maybe, maybe... There's a pivot coming. I don't know. I, I, I don't know if he, he's going to stand up for himself at this point. But what is clear is that Kendall is losing his power and he's firing his allies. And uh, I don't know if that bodes well for him at all. Back at the convention, <laughs> there is a great sequence, which I'm going to excerpt here, in which someone who's been to jail, but he probably did some white collar crime and spent some time in jail, goes on and on about how important your toilet is. <laughs> Look, you want some advice? Hoard mackerel tins. I know, sounds funny, right? But you're gonna need them for bartering. Yeah. Yeah. Greg, you will you keep a note? Oh yeah. Oh, and the toilet. Your toilet is your stair machine. It's your bench. It's uh, your fridge. It's your lover. It's 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 your brother. It's your priest. Oh, and also most importantly, it's also your toilet. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. That, that. I mean, that's yeah. That's so. That's a big part of prison. <laughs> could be a perfect gentleman. could also be a terrible bastard. Your toilet could be a bastard. <laughs> like the toilet could be a real bastard sometimes. <laughs> oh, I don't sure, not sure how that would work. But And then the show really, the episode starts to culminate when they're back in their suite. The siblings are back together and they're basically saying, all right, everybody, come along. We're going to go pick the next president of the United States of America. Come on in. It's time to see who has what it takes. As everybody comes in, by the way, interestingly, once again, there's a comment like, is Greg necessary? Why is Greg here? Greg always seems to just end up in the room. And that's why I still think that eventually this he's going to be a linchpin somehow, because he's just in the room all the time. And for whatever reason, they let him stay there. 
And over the course of this conversation, Greg does start to get uncomfortable. So is he going to start to have some kind of crisis of conscience? It remains to be seen. I don't think he has his backbone yet, but we start to see that different folks have different preferences here for who could be the next. So you have your generic, the vice president steps in. They think he's okay, but they think he's pretty bland. Meanwhile, Shiv has a more moderate candidate that she was going to position saying, look, we can go with somebody who's more moderate. The country's moving left. She even pitches at one point, maybe we just go with a Democrat. Maybe we just endorse a Democrat. This is incredibly naive for Shiv. Shiv really does seem to believe, I didn't actually believe this at first, but I think she does actually believe what she said to Kendall a few episodes back, where she does think she can change the trajectory of the company from within. She also seems to think that her dad is going to listen to her because she did do political consulting in the past, which Roman just attacks her and says, well, you have what, how many campaigns did you win? None, right? Basically. And he just knocks her down and Logan's just like, yep, that sounds about right to me. And once again, she has completely miscalculated just because dad calls her pinky a couple of times. She thinks he really has this respect and affinity for her. And I don't see it anywhere in this show other than occasionally his words, but I don't believe it. But most troubling of all, we have a far right wing character introduced here, a charismatic populist called Mencken. And Roman has been flirting with him this whole entire time. And when I say flirting, I don't just mean like politically flirting. I mean, there is actual sexual tension <laughs> between them. It's very strange. But he has been eyeing him this whole entire time. And they have a very strange interaction in the bathroom where they're dressed exactly the same. And it's just like this mirroring. And it's, it's a strange scene. But and it is tense. It is like uh, it is a intellectual dance, if you can call it that, because what they're talking about is straight up fascism. He, this uh, Mencken character, is basically saying that, hey, what's so wrong with fascism? It's direction the country's going in. And by the way, he had, within earshot of Logan much earlier in the episode, had basically said, I don't need ATN. Nobody watches ATN except for people who don't know how to change the channel. He just yeah. wants to yell loud enough yeah. to get on ATN. Nah, fuck ATN. No, really, ATN is treated as a bulwark, but it's dead. It's basically... A pudding cup at 5 p.m. in the nursing home. Honestly, doesn't speak to me. Doesn't speak to the, the people that I talk to. It is status quo bedtime stories to maximize shareholder value. No disrespect, Logan Roy was an icon, but you know, he's no longer relevant. And this is something that's literally happening. This is a divide, once again, something that's real in this real world analogy, where you have a new alt-right that is usurping the traditional right-wing media infrastructure. Whether it is, just to call out specific uh, events, you have Steve Bannon, who used Gamergate and the anger from these young men, gamers, to politically activate these young men to create memes and basically to use their trolling nature to create this new alt-right. And this is the type of character that Mencken is kind of a Steve Bannon, but with his potentially sincere religious beliefs, maybe like Gavin McGinnis a little bit, but a little more clean cut. So an amalgamation of these different kind of right-wing figures. But this Mencken character within earshot of Logan had basically attacked ATN and saying that's old school uh, media. And this conversation continues between Roman and him in this bathroom sequence, where they're kind of having this powwow before they present him to Logan. But apparently Roman, who's kind of always been a troll uh, throughout the show, 
turns out to be maybe maybe not so politically aligned with this character, but sees the value in the energy he brings. So like I mentioned, this kind of correlates to something that we see in the, the real culture right now and something within the Republican Party. There is this populism versus traditional conservatism. Republican Party in general is very good at creating a united front, but this is an internal battle that they're fighting right now. And it may play out in the next election cycle. So this might be a little bit of a preview for potentially what we might be seeing in the next election cycle. And it might be scary if that's the case, but this is a creepy conversation. And fuck it, I'll just come out and say it. Fascists are kind of cool, but not really. So is that like a problem, a thing? <sighs> Seriously, me, I just, I don't have a lot of boundaries. St. Augustine, Thomas Aquinas, Schumacher, I'll borrow from anyone. And you know, if Franco or H or Travis Bickle had a good pitch, fuck it. I'm a man for all seasons. Mm-hmm. H. You know, there was a very naughty boy named H. I'm a fully-fledged, small-D Democrat. A well-regulated election is a transmission frequency, for God's grace. Holy shit, you really are a Christian, aren't you? Well, no, no, no. My only thing is, like, who's the stakeholder, right? I've been tending, you know, my little garden for, like, a hundred years, and then... 40 new guys show up in the back of a truck playing their boombox and it's put to a vote and they decide to uh, give my farm to them. I mean, what? so sorry, what happened? Maybe you have to put in, right, before you get to take out. Yeah, okay, well then, you know, who gets to, uh, who gets to join? Well, People trust people who look like them. That's just a scientific fact. They will get more tax dollars to help them. Hmm. Now, you can integrate new elements, of course, but come on, man, slowly. I mean, fuck! I like this country. Yeah. Let's just take a beat before we fundamentally alter its composition. Yeah. And in terms of, you know, this, here, there's a thing here. Right? Mm. And I get it, you're, you're fucking 6G and we're Betamax, but you know, you need us, I think. Our news, our viewers, those fucking almost deads, that's a big slice of pie. Well, if I'm the nominee, are any of them really gonna vote against me? No, but you know, it's going to be a fucking shit show going into the convention. I think you could really use our push. I think you could use mine. He is flirting around the fact that maybe minorities and immigrants shouldn't really have a place at the table or maybe not as much of a place at the table and he says things like you know what we're genetically programmed to not trust people who don't look like us should we necessarily contradict that and he has this kind of religious fundamentalism but all of this has quotation marks around it right he's very much a cynical character he really just cares about energizing his base and he attacks he comes straight out to roman and roman says you need us to legitimize you. He's saying, I don't need you. If I'm the candidate, Republicans are just going to vote for me because there's an R next to my name. I don't need you. Standard bearer, Republicans are going to vote for the Republican candidate, period. So I just need to move, mobilize my base. And this is the populism that honestly is happening all over the world. It's not just the Trump election. We've seen it in South America. We've seen it in Poland. We've seen it in the four, former Soviet uh, satellite nations in Russia itself. And of course, just in recent elections in even Germany, there's a new fascist party that has gaining some seats in the parliament. 
and in France and in the UK and basically everywhere. There is a rise of populism, which is tightly correlated to fascism and mobilized by oftentimes by these younger populations. And these type of media figures are arising. So this creepy interaction is happening. And basically it's going to culminate with the fact that Roman is not just kind of testing him out, not just asking him some questions. Roman's seriously going to position him to Logan and say, look, he's young, he's new. We have the older audience. He'll bring us a younger audience. He's what we need. He'll refresh the brand of ATN. And they're not even talking about him as presidential candidate. They're just talking about him as entertainment, just a good thing to put on the air. But the subtext there isn't just that they're going to put him on the air, but that he will be the person that they're going to push for president. Now, before any of this is happening or as this is happening, this private conversation is occurring. We see a couple of other things happening. Greg seems to finally be saying, I just want to let it be known that I think it's wrong, that basically we get to decide who is president and uh, not the voting public, because, you know, that's what democracy is about. So is he starting to get a backbone? Is it going to happen? Remains to be seen. And simultaneously, Kendall meets with Tom at a diner. <laughs> There's a pretty funny moment here where Tom orders a ton of diner food and they ask Kendall what he wants to eat. And he says, I'm just going to watch him eat. <laughs> But this scene gets pretty dark pretty quickly. Kendall's telling him, look, come to my side. I can protect you. There's no reason for you to go to jail. They're calling you the Christmas tree. Tom knows all these things, but Tom says, no, I'm going to stand by the family because I love my wife. My wife is going to stand by me. And Kendall's completely dismissive, going like, yeah, 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 sure, sure, sure. And I have to assume that Tom really does love, love Shiv because why else is he doing this to himself? I don't understand. He could cut a deal right now. He could get no jail time if he could flip somebody higher. He can get much less jail time. And instead, I mean, does he think Shiv's going to be loyal to him? And Kendall says all this to him. So I don't know where Tom's coming from, but I also don't think he has an out because he directly cuts Kendall to the quick. For me, when I tell my wife, whom I love, and this family that I'm turning against them, how? She'll respect you. Tell her what she's doing. Bring her over. Logan goes down. Shiv knows who the fucking man is. Come on, man. But, and I don't mean to be insulting, but having been around a bit, my hunch is that you're going to get fucked because I've seen you get fucked a lot and I've never seen Logan get fucked once. Oh, nice, classy. Yeah. Okay, I gotta go. Do you know what they're doing up in the suite? They're picking the next president. So he doesn't trust that Kendall's gonna come through in the end. He's seen how this turns out. He's seen this story before. He's seen Kendall have a shot and blow it. And a lot of times, it's not just because Logan wins all the time. It's because Kendall messes up. So it's kind of hard for Tom to exit here because where is he going to, where does he go? To Kendall? Does he trust that's going to play out all right? And adding insult to injury, he snaps photos of Tom as he gets in the car. And Tom just scoffs at him. He's just like, ugh, like you think that's going to hurt me now? Like, what do I have to lose? Come on, come on. And he sadly returns to the hotel where he sees Greg being carried aloft by a bunch of right-wingers, <laughs> these uh, other uh, conference attendees who are, celebrating Greg for suing Greenpeace. Tom calls him out on that later, you know, the next morning. 
And Greg minimizes it saying, well, I just got pulled into it. But everyone's tainted at this point. And I think they all feel tainted, especially Tom and Greg. So this is all really fascinating for me. And it makes me think, is this where the show's been going all the time? That just one or two episodes ago in our recap show, I had a conversation with Sona where I'm saying that I don't know what the stakes in this show are because I don't care who gets the succession. So where are the real stakes? And then I start to think, these are the real stakes. The stakes on the show are the outcome of this election. The games they play with democracy itself, where this family will burn it all down to the ground, potentially, by propping up a fascist, theoretically, just because they might get a little better ratings or whether they get a better outcome with the DOJ investigation. The powers that be don't care about what this does to the average person. They're only self-interested. And what is the outcome when everyone is purely self-interested? So in that way, it becomes like a critique of maybe modern capitalism as well. But a couple of very interesting points here, I think. First of all, Logan is this old guy. He's an old media. He's out of date. And here's where you might have a critique, I should say, of a Trump-like figure, someone who is primarily, I mean, famously known as a narcissist, is that the question is, rather than this guy being old news, like Kendall seems to say, his dad is behind the times, he's not hip, he's not with it. What if it's the opposite? What if the culture has come around to all be Logans, right? Where we are all so much of these egocentric narcissists who are only interested in our own social media followers and purely self-interested to the extent where Logan being the worst version of himself is more successful now than ever before. So basically has the culture come to him rather than him becoming aging out of the culture. And maybe that's the cultural battle battle that Logan is trying to win. He's trying to prove that he is right. He's always been right. And now the culture's finally caught up to him. So he's putting all his chips on the table on that bet. And maybe that's what we're seeing playing out here. The second thing I find very interesting here is the question as to, is Logan wrong in what he's doing? I find, I mean, in my heart of hearts, I really, really hope that the <laughs> Logan Roy gets everything that's coming to him. And I think that's one of the motivators of watching this show is seeing them really make these mistakes, but getting some kind of comeuppance. But I'm not sure if the creators of this show really are going to give us such an easy out. But that is one of my main motivators is seeing these people get their comeuppance at some point. But that being said, let's say that Logan Roy, as a character, accepts the fact that he can't control all of culture, that Culture itself is leaning into fascism. Culture itself is leaning into this narcissistic direction. And he can go on his network and try to pick somebody who's more traditionally acceptable, but he may simply say, that's not my responsibility. That's not my job. My responsibility is to get as many viewers on my show as possible and to run my business as successfully as possible. And if that means leaning in to a toxic culture, then is he necessarily wrong? Once again, I want to be clear. <laughs> I think he's morally repellent. I'm just saying that is who he chooses to put on the air really going to change the toxicity of the culture or not? I think that's an argument that's being had right now as to whether the media is making the culture toxic or whether the culture has become toxic and the media represents that. And I'm not sure. There's definitely a feedback loop there, but I'm not sure which is the chicken and which is the egg. And I think the show's trying to figure that out too. And I'm not sure it's going to give us an easy answer, but I'm very curious to see where it goes. So finally, the next morning, the decision is made. Mencken wins. And the night before, when he comes out of the bathroom with Roman, his dad goes, yeah, that's the way to go. There's a whole thing that I skipped here where, you know, for a moment, 
They're t- contemplating Connor legitimately being the candidate. There is a moment. I mean, maybe the only uh, uh, reason to bring that up is that there is really a moment where I'm saying, wow, are they going to do this? Are they going to put Connor up there and just say, hey, well, you know, he's got the Roy name and, you know, gives him some credibility. I never really thought that was going to be the case, but there was a moment where they had me thinking, hmm, maybe, maybe that's where they're going to go. But of course they don't. They go with Mencken, which is kind of a surprise. Shiv is doubly flummoxed by this. First of all, it is the exact opposite of what she asked and what she thought would be good for their brand and for the country, to which her, her dad paid no mind at all. And second of all, just like morally, she is supposedly a leftist. And this is like, you know, could not be worse. Like this could not be a worse outcome if this guy ends up being president for her from a principled perspective, if she indeed has any principles. And maybe that is what's kind of happening multiple times in this episode thematically is you see Tom, you see Shiv, you see Greg, all folks who are supposedly have principles and are violating those principles. And then you have someone like Roman and uh, Logan and Logan's assistant, by the way, too, who seems to be completely pragmatic and seems to be maybe having an affair with him. They all seem to be like, hey, sounds good. It's exciting. It'll be a headline. That's all we care about. And this is very grim when you think about it. That's how cynical these decisions are being made. If this is true, and it's probably more true than not, this is pretty depressing to think about. <laughs> and next morning, they decide to have a photo with Mencken and the family. Logan says, the whole family has to be there. Shiv says, I am not taking a picture with a fascist. Siobhan, are you part of this family or not? Not standing next to him. I'll be in the photo, but not right by him. You win, Pinky. You win. You win, Pinky. You win. What does she win? She's in a picture with this guy who she supposedly despises. She won nothing. All she gets to do is move one body position away from him. Big win for Shiv this week. What a grim ending. (laughs) What a depressing final note on this episode, which makes all those laughs, and there were many of them in this episode, kind of turn to ashes in your mouth. All right, so that is the episode next week, Kendall's 40th birthday. Oh my God, what a shit show this is going to be. But I have a feeling after this pretty grim episode, we should have much more fun next week. But you never know how these things go. They can start fun and get very dark. Remains to be seen. But the coming attractions have a lot of very funny lines already just there. I can only imagine how many more we'll have as the night plays out. So that's it. Like I mentioned, please subscribe to our feed, drop me an email, need some introduction at gmail.com, write us a review, give us a five-star rating. That's great. Helps us find new listeners. Recommend us to somebody. That's another great way to, to have somebody discover our show and have a happy Thanksgiving. But if you do listen to another episode, which should be dropping over the Thanksgiving weekend, we'll be covering all things Marvel, the What If series, two episodes of Hawkeye dropping this week, two episodes of Hawkeye. And of course, my Shang-Chi review as well, which I just saw. Really, really enjoyed it. I'll give you a full review in the next episode. Talk to you soon.